Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Thursday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. Always fun to finish out this first week of the regular season. We're trying to inject as many of these games into our veins as possible, jump to conclusions about, about how players look. We'll try to to not do that too hard, limited our, our, our observations to these games, and maybe say what it means for these teams going forward with, of course, the fact that that's all subject to change. First, we got to get to some news, more information on Gordon Hayward, Jeremy Lin's injury as well. And then we're going to get to the three games tonight. The Lonzo Ball debut against the Clippers. Mello's first game in OKC against his former team, the Knicks and Bulls Raptors. And then we're going to do a special treat as well. A little mini mailbag. We got four questions we picked out from our Patreon subscribers to do here. We're going to do a full mailbag for our Patreon subscribers in the next week or so. But we wanted to pick out those four of those questions and do them here on Dunked On as well. Give you a little taste of what you get if you are a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. We're sponsored today by a new sponsor, Wish. Wish is offering all new users a free gift with purchase and you can get 20% off of your purchase by using my code capspace with the wish app which of course the new sponsor of the la lakers Uh, let's get to the news here danny start with the update on gordon hayward he in fact did have surgery and it appears likely per his agent mark barlstein that he will miss the entire season it's certainly disappointing but it's also not surprising and so yeah it was a dislocation of the of the ankle along with a break at the uh, according to jeff stotts at the distal end of the tibia and so you should read stotts's piece because he talks about the differences between that and this was in the preliminary stages of the reporting and Paul George's injury, which was instructive for me because that was kind of what I thought of first. And so the differences between those two and the expectation, as you said, is that he'll be out for the year. And something that Darren Ravel noted is that the NBA's insurance will allow the Celtics to recoup about 40% of the money it's going to pay Hayward. He still gets every cent, but it's just insurance that pays out to the Celtics. So they'll get about $11.4 million off of that salary, which not coincidentally, well, it is it is a little bit coincidentally, is about the amount of the, of the disabled players player exception so even though they're not going to push into the tax you know it is, it is a, a slight benefit it's it's a silver lining on what is an immense dark cloud yeah it is and a couple other things to note here with that ankle dislocation the last player to have such an injury is Shavlik Randolph he suffered it in practice though it was of course described as pretty gruesome uh and basically I mean if you didn't see the play I didn't see it I saw a photo afterwards basically like his ankle was pointed at a 90 degree angle to the left of where it should have been so it's definitely a lot of trauma to the ligaments there as well I think that's the greater issue but Shav Randolph actually said that he had about a four to six month recovery uh and that he said it healed back to 100 and it did so surprisingly fast uh that's not been what doctors have said but it is also is worth noting that and chef randolph said you know he wouldn't be shocked if he can and does play this year it's worth noting that to get that disabled player exception and also just to avoid any expectations of his return that both the Celtics and Hayward are all going to want to be on the same page that, hey, you know what, he's going to be out for the year, right? I mean, you remember the last time, I think every team has learned their lesson from the Derrick Rose saga in 2013, this idea that, oh, maybe he could come back. He's cleared. He's not cleared. Like, it's always better to under-promise and over-deliver in terms of when a, a player is going to return. Um so and the disabled player exception basically a doctor has to find that it's likely that he would be out all the way through june 15th so they definitely don't want to do anything in their public statements to jeopardize that where of course they can add a player in the last year of his contract or a free agent signing they'll keep in mind 
Two, even on the buyout market with that disabled player exception, they could have a lot more money to use than basically any other team because they're out of space. They use the room exception on Aaron Baines, so all they could offer is the minimum. So that actually could be a useful tool for them. Uh, but Hayward w- was introduced via video message in their loss to the Bucks last night uh, and seems to be in decent spirits at least. So uh, hope is that he can make a full recovery at least uh, next year. And uh, I think that's about all we've got on him for now. Um, should we move to Jeremy Lin now? Yeah, dispiriting again, you know, the second night in a row. It, it The thing with his, because we didn't see it live, we were doing the Twitter NBA show, was his reaction to it. You know, the, the contact itself didn't look terrible, but when he said, I'm done, you could see him mouthing, I'm done, ended up being a patellar tendon rupture. He is out for the season. Disappointing for the Nets, especially. I mean, he was going to be just an important part of what they were doing with the Angela Russell. And now this complicates their financial circumstances because it is basically fait accompli that he's going to pick up his player option for next year. So we basically have to assume that the Nets are not going to be a cap space team for this coming summer. Yeah, I mean, and with that patellar tendon rupture, I had a 70% patellar tendon rupture. And I mean, I can't, if you've ruptured it completely, you can't bend your knee. When your quad contracts, there's nothing to pull on your shin and make your knee bend. So you definitely know uh, that there are problems there. And and like for me i could feel it like you just put your hand on there and you can tell like all right this tendon that used to be there is kind of not there you know so it's one of those ones where you can tell right away you know probably what it is i think even in in your uh if you're the athlete and for Lynn I mean it's crazy to think about it because Hayward's was so much more gruesome and people were so upset by it but and this is a much bigger issue I think for Lynn's career than it is uh, for Hayward's Uh, you know even an ACL probably would be it sounds like um even you know of course that Hayward injury was was so ugly um and Lynn's player option that you mentioned is 12.5 million as you said I think you'd imagine that he would pick it up and also you know hard to imagine that he necessarily would have like a better place to go for more playing time than he would likely get again in Brooklyn next year they'll need him for sure he'll have a major role even if he doesn't start D'Angelo Russell now will move over likely to be the starting point guard they do have some depth uh with Alan Crabb they can maybe now start Damari Carroll and Rondé Hollis Jefferson together at forwards and then Sean Kilpatrick and Joe Harris both of whom did not play in the first game are players at least who are experienced you know Kilpatrick I think is is a decent enough player Harris you uh are not a huge fan of I know but uh he's at least can hit some shots so well and then uh, yeah also Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie I mean so they have guys that they can try out I I think Dinwiddie will probably be their backup one you know they'll they'll slide in that he obviously won't be the starter at the two and so yeah I mean Brooklyn they do have options they're clearly inferior options and the other ripple effect and not the primary part of this at all is Cleveland has Brooklyn's pick and the Nets are going to be worse this year and so you know what how that factors into what Cleveland is doing we, we still don't know obviously at this point we probably won't know until late June at the earliest but it does have ripple effects there for sure it does and another ripple effect is now the Nets could have had uh, a little over 20 million depending on what they did maybe even got enough to do a max offer sheet for a restricted free agent along the lines of what they did for Otto Porter. They also, of course, were destinations for Tyler Johnson. They were a destination for Alan Crabb, who they ended up acquiring. Donatus Yunus. they've done four restricted free agent offer sheets, which is like probably pretty close to what the entire rest of the league has done over that period. So you know they actually believe in doing that. They are certainly a threat at the very least that agents could hold over people. But if they're not going to have the spaces, it appears they will not. Then, especially for, I think, restricted free agents, given where the Nets are as a team, uh, that really closes off the free agent market even further next year. So this is bad news for all of those would-be restricted free agents who turned down their rookie extensions a few days ago. Also, it behooves them now more clearly than it did before to move contracts like Trevor Booker's at the deadline or before the deadline for players that have another year because there isn't really much they can do with that space. They're not going to be threatening the luxury tax and they're not losing any financial flexibility. So if they can get an asset of some form for a player that has a longer contract, it could even be two extra years, but that starts to push it a little bit because then Lynn is expiring and Tamari Carroll is expiring, but they, they basically have 
have to do that now because they're losing nothing. Yeah. Also, having to slide Carroll down is probably going to impact their rotation a little bit. They have these terrible bigs. I mean, Jared Allen got a DMP in that first game against the Pacers, which was actually the fastest paced NBA game since 2008. I saw, I think they had like 117 possessions or something like we're talking like 1960s. All it was a like 140 to 130 in regulation that game. And so Trevor Booker was playing as a small ball center. He might have to play some more four now for them. Maybe Jared Allen will play more. So a lot of ripple effects there, but they do have a lot of depth, as you mentioned, among their young players. So we'll get more of a look at, at guys like Levert, and it'll be D'Angelo Russell's chance to run the show. He had 30 on opening night. Another potential injury here that could be of importance, Dion Waiters, you remember he injured his ankle in March and ended up having to get shut down. That was key in the heat, missing the playoffs. And he elected not to have ankle surgery, but apparently, and this is something that Albert Namad was all over in our heat preview a couple of weeks ago, that is not 100%. He's still having swelling and pain in that ankle. He said basically that it sucks. And so if he has to have surgery, that could be a major problem for Miami here. Yeah, I mean, that that's a big problem for them. And another team that's competing for a playoff spot that will actually definitely be without one of their guys is Jermichael Green. Fortunately, the good part of it, no ligament damage, but he does have a high ankle sprain and bone bruise per David Aldridge out three to four weeks. So, you know, that's certainly going to be a challenge. And they won their game against one of the teams with a with the super strong front court rotation in the New Orleans Pelicans. But it will be a challenge. You know, they, they need all the depth they can get. And now this starts to put on the heat on their young bigs. They have this collection with Jarrell Martin, Deontay Davis, Rab, to see who can really step up and play some minutes for them. Yeah, indications are that Jarrell Martin will be the starter there. And a high ankle sprain is something that is no joke for a player. We've seen Devin Harris have seasons derailed by that. Harrison Barnes, really, in 2015-16, wasn't ever quite the same player after returning from his high ankle sprain that he suffered early in the season. Uh, Draymond Green, however, did avoid a major injury, although he is doubtful for Friday in New Orleans suffering that knee contusion it looked like i actually no i think it was just a, a knee tweak the warriors pr is always a little creative in what they like to call these but no major damage indicated on, on the mri uh, andre guadala is considered probable i think now for that game and Omri Cathby re-sprained his ankle is I think questionable uh what did you think of the number for Bobby Portis suspended eight games by the Bulls that would have him back on November 7th with the information that we have it certainly seems low it's lower than I expected but uh, I feel like we have to acknowledge that there is a lot more information that the Bulls have than we don't have they talked definitely to both players presumably other players on the team and people who were there with the incident but he does get the benefit of probably about two weeks, maybe a little bit more because he can come back uh, November 7th. I think it's against the Raptors again. Yeah. And so that, you know, that might give him a stretch of two to three weeks where he can get some minutes. And that's a real challenge for kind of the morality of all this kind of stuff. But again, the full context here is essential to properly evaluate this. Yeah. And based on the reporting, there was some mutual aggression over a series of possessions up and down the court. They even were separated at one point by assistant coach randy braun before that uh robin lopez was saying hey there was aggression on both sides but portis crossed the line everybody in the bulls who talked about it said he crossed the line so usually when you hear that that means that the pr guy kind of came up with that and just told everyone who hey if you get asked about this just you know repeat this party line uh but for me i mean you know portis could actually benefit uh you know unless he doesn't have his rookie option picked up between now and then but i think he probably will given all the cap space that this bulls team has going forward there's some interesting reporting too about the bulls uh brian windhorst mentioning on woja's pod today that the bulls were in the richard jefferson quote-unquote sweepstakes to just take on his contract and save the Cavs a bunch of money but they demanded a first round pick cleveland ended up getting off of him for a couple of second rounders to atlanta and they're not getting a first round pick for three million bucks even in this cap environment uh so that probably was never going to happen but they have enough space where maybe they feel like they can hold out and this is a very interesting situation to be in for one of these cap teams because you don't really know exactly what the market's going to be you don't know who's going to really need 
need to get off of money if you're the bulls do you wait all the way until next summer to preserve some space so that you can have luol deng available you know as a destination for luol deng from the lakers if they are able to bring in lebron james or do you just piecemeal take lower picks you wait for the big score the way brooklyn got it with mozgov it's difficult to say hey when do we actually strike and what is enough what is an overwhelming offer if you get a good offer do you take it or do you wait for an overwhelming offer later one small correction partially because it was reported differently when the when the trade originally happened it is functionally one second round pick because because the issue was that uh, there were two picks that Cleveland had that they could have conveyed for that t- for the second selection. Because one is, I think it's the inferior of the Lakers and the Wolves, and the other oh, one, yeah, the expect okay. the expectation was that it was going to be the other pick, but instead it's the Portland one, which is protected thirty one to fifty five. So not a big deal, but I feel bad because I'm part of I'm one of the people because I thought that was the logical conclusion was that it was going to be the pick that actually counted, but it is that one. And the Bulls have to really they have to think about this in a, a, a more complicated way because they have this they have kind of two forms of space they have the space right now but then they have the space moving forward and so yes getting some money in Richard Jefferson's case and K Felder who they ended up claiming anyway would have been you know that would have limited them for this season and not next year but it does narrow it starts to narrow the field of the contracts that you could theoretically get so I understand why they can be ambitious about what they're asking for but they were never going to get that return last thing here in news Wade Baldwin 2016 number 17 overall pick by the Grizzlies who is cut in camp was not claimed on waivers nobody not nobody but few teams have a roster spot available right now uh so he is still getting paid for this year he agreed to a two-way contract with portland and as kp noted that's a good place for him to be as a guy who has some combo guard skills maybe can defend give them some athleticism and you know maybe he can get his career back on track and potentially evolve into being a combo guard backup to both lillard and mccollum a guy with a little bit more size and athleticism but certainly i haven't seen anything from him in his short career to indicate that he's on track to being a contributing rotation player but he's a young guy we've seen guys with less talent emerge so we'll get into all these games from today but first this from wish if you want to save big use the app that over 300 million smart and thrifty shoppers have discovered wish the mobile mall app that connects you to thousands of merchants which makes it easy to shop fashion shoes electronics kitchen gadgets and more directly from the makers you pay 60 to 90 percent less than what you pay in a store no markups no overpay they even have an outlet section complete with more name brand products and if you can wait a few weeks for delivery you get lower shipping prices than almost anywhere else it's really just a great way to save money on just a whole host of products it is the number one shopping app on the app store and google play and the highest rated mobile shopping app in the world i i was surprised to learn that i of course became familiar with them because they started sponsoring the lakers but if you actually go in the app store i think wish is like one of the top two or three on android like it's really a lot of people just love wish and i'm glad that the they started sponsoring the lakers so i could become aware of them and of course uh, this podcast as well so now of course we'll tell you about the special dunked on deal wish is offering all new users a free gift with purchase but if you're already a wish lover don't worry about being left out you can get 20 percent off your purchase by using my code Capspace. so it's not just for new users even if you already use wish use that code Capspace. You download and open your Wish app, find the things you didn't even know you needed, and enter in my code CAPSPACE. You get 20% off your purchase. Let's start with the Laker game here, the eagerly anticipated debut of Lonzo Ball. This game was a wood shedding. We stopped watching after the third quarter as the Clippers had gone up by more than 20. 108-92 ended up being the final. What did you see from Lonzo Ball in his 29 minutes tonight? So he was getting hounded a lot by Patrick Beverly, who seemed to absolutely relish that moment still had some of those nice look ahead passes that I do really enjoy from him but I think the biggest takeaway from the Lakers offense and you could say this with Lonzo Ball was that they really miss Contavious Caldwell Pope because they need more spacing to actually function as an offense especially in the half court and something that you brought up which I thought was was well founded something we talked about in his prospect preview was as a scorer in the pick and roll he has limitations and those limitations are not going to change they were they were limitations that you see they are going to be limitations in the pros and when he had less space to work with it makes it harder for him as a scorer and then of course as a passer too 
Yeah, and I don't know that KCP is going to be a panacea in this. And I thought the Clippers defended pretty well in this one. That was one of our concerns about them. But the Lakers really even, and you really need two things, right? Like you need playmakers who can draw the attention of the defense. And then you need guys who can space the floor and give them room to work. And the Lakers had neither of those in this game. Brooke Lopez had a short period where he got going a little bit, but mostly long twos for him. One of five from three-point range. Uh, Brandon Ingram was three out of 15. He really struggled. Larry Nance was able to get three free a little bit for 14 points. But really, this team just doesn't have anyone dynamic enough with the ball in their hands to create separation and draw help. And then there wasn't really a space. I mean, they're playing. You think of the their starting lineup here, right? And don't worry, we'll get more to ball in a second. But I think it's important to talk about the context first. So they started Lonzo and Ingram at guard. Lou Aldang got the Keith Bogans playing at small forward. Nance at power forward and Lopez at center. Lopez, they kind of need him to be a scorer. So he wasn't able to space out quite as much as he was in even in New Jersey and wasn't asked to space out quite as much. And so, I mean, Lonzo is probably the only, and even we don't even know whether he is a quality three-point shooter yet. He's the guy with the ball in his hands a lot. So like Ingram took only one three-point attempt. He was 0 for 1. Nance took zero. Dang took zero. Lopez took five. Ball took three. I mean, that's your whole starting lineup. You're just, you can't win that way and you can't score efficiently. There's just not enough space on the floor, especially when you're going up against a guy who takes up a ton of space in the middle like DeAndre Jordan. Defensively, I thought Ball looked okay. You know, that's always been a, yeah. a balance with him is that his, you know, his lateral quickness isn't amazing, but he has good reactions. He's a good rebounder. His vertical might actually be under rated by people because it's kind of people amalgamate a few different elements of being an athlete together he's better at some than others and I you know they liked him we'll see how his hands are I think he could become a little bit better with steals moving forward than he was in this game but I I, I think that it's hard to you know to really go too much too too much into all of that the other thing before we get more into the Clippers and everything I feel a little bit bad for Alonso is congratulations you survived Patrick Beverly tomorrow you play or is that tomorrow yeah it is tomorrow they play Phoenix and Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> yeah, Eric Bledsoe doesn't try anymore. That's though. true. But maybe he will in this game. I, I mean, mean, after I think after what they happened to them on Wednesday, he might. Oh man, that that was just an, an incredible. Without CJ McCollum, too, they they trailed by fifty eight at one point in that game, and that was considered a pickup, I think, by by gamblers. You posited whether that had the largest ever departure in a game from like the result uh, uh, from the line. I'm sure that's not true, but it definitely was up there. Anyway, back to Lonzo. One of six, one of three from three. Missed both of his free throw attempts. The only thing that you could say was really impressive, I thought his help defense was okay. And then he had nine defensive rebounds. He really does get up on the defensive glass. Uh, only four assists for him too. Uh, he had really only one play that was impressive, which was a LeBron-like 65-foot pass to Brooke Lopez, who had just gotten slightly behind his defender and was basically had his man sealed in front at the opposite free throw line. And Lonzo lobs it up and, and Lopez uh, got a foul call on that play but it was it was a great pass he completed it and then they had no choice but to foul other than that we didn't see the type of spectacular plays he likes to throw the ball ahead and the hopes for him were you know all right he's not going to do that much individually but he's going to have this infectious style of play at ucla he's going to make the players around him better he's going to get everyone to really run hard well he only had 10 fast break points not very good against a clippers team that you know does emphasize getting back so that's worth noting at least um and then you know the three-point attempts only four of 16 as a team and lonzo really a couple of times to pick a roll he shot a floater he had one play where he broke beverly's ankles and, get, and got to the rim but he got picked up you know out top for pick sixes like multiple times just had his dribble taken away uh that's something just playing with force with speed there was one time where he had austin rivers on the wing with plenty of space and transition tried to drive by him and just didn't even get close to getting by him like austin rivers just like cut him off twice and he couldn't he took two steps and just ran right into rivers chest a couple of times and that's always going to be a problem for him he's not going to be someone who i think is going to be able to create much in isolation especially if he doesn't have that step back jumper to his left and people are going to be sitting all over that so it was i would say a pretty inauspicious debut for him uh i mean i was sort of thinking like oh man i wish i'd had the balls to put dennis smith over him <laughs> on my personal board and and this doesn't mean that he's not going to be an effective player uh this is the first game it was a tough matchup he also i think his conditioning might have been a factor coming back from missing much of the preseason with that ankle injury he looked like he may have even tweaked that again so no reason to panic yet but he definitely didn't look like a number two overall pick should look in this game you know who else didn't look like a number two overall pick should look in this game <laughs> 
Well, you know what though? See, this is the thing. Ingram like does look like a number two overall pick out on the floor. And then you look down and he shoots terribly from the field. He's 315. Well, and right. Like the ball just doesn't go in the basket. The ball doesn't go in the basket. And my biggest concern with him is like, you hear, you hear the conversations and I understand it from a long view perspective of like, oh, he'll be, he can be a stretch four and all that. One of the big issues is that yes, he is on, he's on the frail side of things, but he doesn't play with that much force. Like even when he had Taya Dosich on him, there were a few times where he posted him up, but you have to just t- oh, take over those types of situations. And it's not like Taya Dosich is small, but strong and feisty and all that. Like Taya Dosich doesn't care about defense most of the time. And you need to be able to do that. And and I mean, we've talked about that for various guys, Kristaps Porzingis at certain moments and other things is that if you're bigger than your guy or you're more athletic or you're more talented, you need to make it so that the defense has to prioritize stopping you. And Ingram hasn't done that. And then defensively, he does have some nice moments. I think that he's capable as a helper and things like that, but you don't see him controlling the proceedings or really affecting things too much there. And so again, not writing him off, but I am fading off of the the elements of him that I really liked, and it's still a long time before you ever write him off, but this is starting to get more concerning than it was. Yeah, it is. Uh, Of the 15 shot attempts that he took, I mentioned only one were threes. One of five at the rim, two of seven from mid-range. So his finishing was not great. Again, not a ton of space. DeAndre Jordan was there, but he's not incredibly explosive. And another thing too for him is just spent very long portions of the game on defense, not getting into a stance, zero steals, zero blocks, only one foul. He's not even really getting, being aggressive enough to get into position to foul. So he still just is not, uh, my biggest concern with him has always been yeah number one his shot doesn't go in but number two that he just doesn't make the athletic plays out on the floor playing with force with hustle rebounding that really like make you say wow this guy is like really has great length he's a great athlete so not particularly encouraging there Larry Nance he hustled had a nice game but I think just starting him at the four he in today's game may just not be a good enough offensive player at the four and especially if the team's going to struggle to score they may just want to go with Kyle Kuzma Kuzma Played some at the three, some at the four. I thought his best position is the four. Offensively, certainly. Defensively, he struggled at either of those positions. But they need to get a little bit more spacing and ability to attack i mean kuzma might be their best one-on-one player on this team right now as crazy as that is to say other than maybe brooke lopez trying to post up i hadn't thought about it but i do not really disagree with that yeah jordan clarkson as well another you know 18 points 16 shots in 23 minutes you know played a lot in garbage time actually hit two three-pointers to lead the team so i think they'll look better with kcp i think maybe this clippers team is pretty good and let's get to them now blake griffin was the story here 29 points 12 of 23 three of six on three-pointers shooting those with no hesitation meanwhile deandre jordan had 14 points nine offensive boards 24 rebounds in total in his 32 minutes really outstanding games by both of them and really no other clippers were particularly efficient but that's all they needed the clippers won this game on defense where the lakers had only an 87 offensive rating the clippers really not a great offensive performance was an exceedingly fast-paced game especially with a ton of turnovers in the first half but Blake was the the big star. How did he look to you just subjectively? Early on, I was actually concerned because there was one point where it looked like he was going to had a clear dunk and just kind of flipped it over the net. And so you're just kind of sitting there going, oh, that's not usually what he does. And he had a couple of dunks in the preseason, but then he had one where he just yammed all over Julius Randle. So he he showed a little bit more burst there. I still was had moments in this game where I was sitting where he was like kind of doing the dribble, 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 and then shot a jumper where I was going, oh, God, that's right. They have another five. Five years of this but he should provide value this year he was wonderful in this game overall deandre jordan 24 rebounds was ridiculous and then the other one which was something watching there i watched their games mostly in hawaii those were the two games i watched most closely for them because the time shift they were the only games on and Wes johnson was ahead of sam decker in the rotation and i was like huh i wonder if it's like sam's hurt or if you know Wes johnson's really doing well because he was buried last year and then again you know 19 minutes for Wes johnson some of that was in garbage time and he looked fine you know he looked fine out there and the clip 
Clippers are going to need forwards off the bench. So there might be time for both of those guys, but I was still encouraged nonetheless. Yeah, he looked all right. Uh, Gallo was only three out of 13, but still was plus 19. Uh, and he was okay, especially against these sad Laker offensive wings defensively, but he spaces the floor. You got to guard him. And then Teodosic actually started. I don't know whether Austin Rivers, one of 11 from the field, by the way, in his 26 minutes, didn't start because of his glute issue or because they just felt like Teo is better. I think it's probably Teo is better, frankly. So he started with Beverly, the old uh, Seska backcourt from years ago, uh, now in the NBA as a starting backcourt on a decent team, which is kind of cool. And how did uh, Milos look to you? Uh, He looked okay. I mean, he didn't really get as many opportunities to unleash his passing. That's actually something that was better when he was on the second unit, just because they had fewer ball dominant guys. And so that was actually fun with him. Also, I got pissed at one point early on because DeAndre Jordan is a notorious rebound. A thief is probably the wrong word, but it is a little bit like that. And there were a couple plays where Tate Dosich was right there. There weren't any Lakers there. Just just let the point guard get the ball and then he can run with it and you can you can get a dunk. Like just go in that way. And Tate yeah. But but the announcers gotta like talk about how DeAndre had 24 rebounds right. tonight. He's not gonna make the All Star team he, unless he and gets And he more did rebounds. have a good rebounding night. It's just that those sorts of things can inflate it. I you know I covered David Lee for a few years, so I'm very familiar with this concept. But overall, I mean, it, it, it's weird because it obscures from the fact that DeAndre Jordan is a really good player. Sometimes that he does the he does those sorts of things. But the Clippers, you know, I mean, the question for us was never how good they were going to be at full strength or whether they were going to beat the crap out of bad teams. It was, how are they going to do against the best of the best, and how are they going to do if they're not at full strength? And so those are questions that will remain for another couple of games, because I think their next one's against Phoenix, so not exactly going to learn a lot there. Yeah, but I mean, I think the biggest thing for the Clippers to me was that Blake continued to look good, had an efficient game, put up those 29, 29 points in basically three quarters, and he was actually really was three of five from three, because he had a heave, uh, didn't get to the foul line at all, but was eight of 10 in the restricted area. And so, I mean, he, he looked, you know, about like he looked at the beginning of last year which is a a very solid player and the health of course will be the issue for him the health of gallo of teo of of beverly or all these guys really except for jordan um getting back to teo six assists in his 21 minutes but two of nine from the field six points uh two of six from three we knew that he was never really gonna try at all to shoot around the rim you know every once in a while he'll come off a pick and roll and then you know we'll take kind of a floating jump shot from 17 or 18 feet uh those were, I think, all of his two-point shot attempts. As a three-point shooter, he's career 38% in Europe, but it's a little bit of an adjustment even for veterans to the NBA line. He looked comfortable taking it from deep. I thought it was actually an interesting contrast with Lonzo because his game is kind of similar to Lonzo, actually. In Lonzo's a better athlete, but Lonzo's not great at getting to the rim, You know, not great at breaking down his man unless there's a screen. And I thought he just did an underrated job of just keeping the ball moving, finding guys on the weak side. I mean, he didn't throw any of these spectacular like Teo passes for a dunk. But that's because the open pass was to shooters on the weak side. And he set guys up pretty well. I thought he he did a really nice job. Um, Lou Williams came in and gave them a, a little something as well a little more scoring impetus uh and Patrick Beverly made Lonzo's life miserable there's a little viral clip where he denied Lonzo by breaking up a DHO and then Lonzo tried to come off a Lopez screen and Lopez had to illegally screen him and he got an offensive foul call and was yelling first team for his first team all defense which uh I enjoy from the Chicago point guard anything else you wanted to do on this one before we move on no I think that's about it very well let's move on to the first game of the night, OKC and New York. It was a 105-84 OKC win. They led it by 20 at the end of three, so I turned it off as well for the fourth quarter. Over 20 points for each of the big three. Interesting, David Locke noted this too, that uh, Carmelo, 8 of 20 from the field, uh, was only even in plus minus in a game that his team won by 20. But Russ had exactly the type of game everyone is going to want him to have. 21 points, 16 assists, 10 rebounds, 7 of 12 from the field, 7 of 10 from the foul line. OKC was just running it down the Knicks' throats. The Knicks turned it over 15 times in the first half. This is another one of those super fast-paced games where it wasn't really that great of an offensive game from the Thunder. 
but the Knicks other than Chris Stapps Porzingis could not get anything going at all offensively that was the big concern for me I mean there were some stretches early on where OKC was you know they were waving a little bit with their own offense but the pathway for the Knicks to win games regularly this year is just going to be narrow they, their their perimeter rotation is rough top to bottom they started Ramon Sessions Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee and then you know it's not like their bench is any great shakes on the perimeter they actually have a an overstuffed center and broadly big man rotation and so you're sitting there going well okay so their offense is going to be you know they have some talented players but they they overlap a little bit and everything like that their defense especially in transition was abysmal in this game and so you're sitting there going well okay how are they going to beat teams and the answer is they're not going to beat many teams yeah, I think so. And we'll see what happens when they get in the Eastern Conference. This OKC team is an excellent squad. Not a ton of depth. Um, but one thing I did really like from OKC, 38 three-point attempts. They did shoot only 29% from out there, but took some good shots. I mean, Abrinas was one out of five. Uh, Patterson was 0 for 2. I will say this, though. Patterson only played seven minutes. He did not look good. I think he's easing back in after that knee surgery, but looked a little heavier than I would have liked and just did not look to be moving. Well, I mean, part of the appeal with him, and he played some small ball center too, but is that as a power forward he can move his feet pretty well it knows where to be and can make some effort plays and he's just not necessarily as a rebounder but just out on the perimeter defending and he just looked very sluggish maybe he'll hopefully he'll round into form because they really need him um jeremy grant played 21 minutes and he's a good effort guy but probably not someone who needs to be guarded up by the three-point line uh but just i mean that top four guys that they have of westbrook adams george and anthony is a pretty good top four and then the other thing interesting thing to watch is going to be how much does Robertson play he played 21 minutes didn't have anyone really to guard in this game you know he's if you have like a great wing player on the other team that he can guard then he becomes more useful though they also have Paul George to do that now uh and so I really felt like he was only plus three in those 21 minutes so I really felt like the offense just opened up so much as soon as they went to Aparinas or even Grant just someone who can pretend to shoot a three uh which Robertson you know still cannot he was 0 for 2 and neither of his misses a couple other things I feel like we need to mention. One is Stephen Adams was incredibly disruptive in a positive way in this game. He was, you know, he was making an impact defensively. Five steals, three blocks. He did, you know, 12 points isn't that much for him, but you you don't need him to have the ball time. It's more going to be opportunity based for him. And then the other one, which was a surprise to me, even though I heard he looked good in the preseason, was Terrence Ferguson getting non-garbage minutes. He, he wasn't a heavy part of their rotation, but he did play, I think it was 10 minutes overall. And that's encouraging from a rookie i mean they're not going to be expecting or needing much from him this year but the fact that he has earned at least a little bit of billy donovan's trust is a good thing at this point yeah one thing didn't change for okc although some of this was, was garbage time too uh russell westbrook plus 29 his backup ray felton negative 12 <laughs> uh let's get to the Knicks now I think Porzingis looked great didn't take a ton of threes I mean they really were going to him more in the post on switches having him go off of screens he even like turned and faced on Paul George one time and drove him down the lane line for a beautiful floating running jump shot uh 31 points 11 to 25 for him 12 rebounds pretty solid game and really you have to say probably the only Nick who played well I don't know Willie Hernan Gomez looked good in his three minutes <laughs> yeah yeah that was uh the fact that Kyle O'Quinn was playing over Hernan Gomez and maybe you know Kyle O'Quinn just was so much better in camp than Hernan Gomez but for O'Quinn to play 22 minutes and Hernan Gomez who they already screwed over by bringing Cantor who uh was just as flammable as usual defensively though he somehow came up with three steals um in this game it was not good i mean hernan gomez is in theory gonna be a guy who can be your starting center and to just play him four minutes is not good although okc did play small a lot of the game uh and uh, one more thing on Porzingis too i wanted to mention is he actually looked better defending out on the floor mm-hmm. than i remembered from him he was guarding carmelo most of the time it's very interesting to see those guys match up and then carmelo once he got a few fouls they switched over to putting paul george on Porzingis, and that made his life a little tougher but he got blown by a couple times but carmelo didn't light it up he was eight out of 20 missed some open shots but and even Carmelo didn't shoot great but I thought he looked okay getting to the basket had some good quickness uh, I mean the OKC I know we're getting back to them we'll give you a little more on the Knicks much as we have to but for OKC I thought that they the offense didn't look any better than it did last year right there's still a lot of your turn my turn they're really relying on getting out on the fast break Westbrook was trying to distribute but you know it was just all right we'll ISO for this guy this time you know there's not side to side there's you don't see the swing it 
it dho swing it dho type action that you see on some of these other teams uh you don't see multiple pick and rolls on in a given set and part of that's due because they're switching and these guys are good one-on-one players and they want to go one-on-one against a mismatch but you know even the atos are just like all right you know we'll run an iso for paul george here on the left wing like not very sexy to go back to the knicks one thing that amused me we talked about this with Kyrie going against the Cavs on opening night was Westbrook though on one play in transition granted he always attacks with reckless abandon but he it seemed like he had specific knowledge when he went against Ennis Canner one time Canner was back there and Russ basically acted like he wasn't there because he knew functionally he wasn't and I enjoyed that quite a bit and we just also have to see how these Nick rotations work out not only did Willie Hernan Gomez basically not play Frank Nokina only played seven minutes despite and Ron Baker played 22 sessions played 20 neither one of them particularly impressed and Dotson was basically just in a garbage time and yes it's a long season and they will have plenty of time to evaluate those guys and OKC is not exactly the cauldron that you want for everybody but if you're kind of hopeless to a point at least in that game might as well see what your young guys have crazy is to say i think the knicks actually missed mike beasley he only played one minute hit a jumper and then he came down on westbrook's foot and had to be helped to the locker room with a, a sprained ankle nilakina eight minutes he is coming back from that bruised knee didn't have much of a preseason i think that might be part of why ron baker played over him it's also possible that ron baker might be better than him right now as well uh but he airballed the two shots that he took both from the right corner and really did, did not show very much at all uh i mean we've He's going to always be compared to Dennis Smith, but, you know, Dennis Smith had 16 and 10 as the starting point guard for a better team than this Knicks team. Uh, and Nilakina like, couldn't even get on the floor for a bad team in a blowout that, you know, and he wasn't really able to do much when he was out there either. Anything else on this one, or do you want to move to the game that dare not speak its name? Oh, man. I mean, the, this Bulls team is with Portis out, with Miritich out. It already, we knew it was going to be bad, that they had no, nothing on the wing, nothing at the three. It's even worse now. They started Lowry Markin, and that was really the one bright spot for them. We can start with him. 5 of 12 from the field, but did have 17 points. He got to the foul line a little bit. His jumper looks good. When the league learns that every single time he takes a dribble, he's going left, he'll become easier to defend. He's going to have to get some counters to that uh he also got beasted on the defensive glass quite a bit but he looked good running out in transition and he really was he and robin lopez were really the only competent offensive basketball players on, on this team for the bulls they ended up losing 117 to 100 but i mean the game was functionally over at halftime due to a 28 to 4 start to the second quarter in which the bulls brought out a lineup of Ryan Archidiakono, Quincy Pondexter playing for the first time in two and a half years, although really good to see him back. David Nwaba, Paul Zipser playing as a backup for, and Cristiano Felicio. And big surprise, you know, they scored like four points over a nine-minute period, largely with those guys out there. And the Raptors started the second quarter with a pure bench unit of their own. Uh, OG Ananubi looked really good. He was plus 26, nine points in 17 minutes, had a couple of nasty dunks, uh, hit a corner three as well, just looked aggressive out there, looked like he never had that ACL injury great to see him back less than eight months after I'm sorry no less than 10 months after that ACL tear that he suffered Pirtle was out there CJ Miles was absolutely on fire he was the one vet with that group he had 22 points on 12 shots was hitting just ridiculous threes coming off of screens giving them an element they haven't had since they lost Terrence Ross and then Dalen Wright and Fred Van Vliet were the two guys in the backcourt along with Pirtle at center and that unit just absolutely smoked the Bulls in other times I've used the term funhouse mirror to basically describe a situation where you get non-representative information that might actually make it harder to evaluate stuff i've said you know playing the rockets there are certain other ones that are out there i feel like the playing the bulls is different kind of that i've been thinking maybe it's a glumhouse mirror something like that because it's just you can't evaluate it like yeah i i made a comment to you on off you know off the show about how that raptor second unit was looking good and the point you brought up was well yeah but look at who they're playing against and it is going to be this challenge especially until they get Miritich back. And that isn't to say all is lost for the Bulls or anything crazy like that, but they are going to get their asses handed to them a lot, especially in the next month or so, because they'll be without Zach Levine for a while and they'll be without Nikola Miritich for a while. 
Yeah, a couple other notes here on the Bulls. Kay Felder, they brought in Archer Diakno, who played last year. You know, he is obviously the hero from Villanova two years ago in that national championship game. Uh, that was uh, the only college basketball episode that will ever do our lowest rated episode ever. Thanks, uh, Ricardo Foyce, for that. We appreciate it. Just kidding. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, but then he spent last year with the Austin Spurs. He's on a two-way now with the Bulls. He only played five minutes. He was a uh, part of that run where they just couldn't score at all. And then Kay Felder came in he was actually plus three two of nine but he looked better I, I really liked actually he looked much more comfortable going to his right he actually hit a righty floater uh had a nice in and out dribble with his right hand and I don't know if he's ever going to be an efficient player he may not even be like a reasonable NBA player but he had six assists he just just to have someone on this team who could do something off the bounce to create a shot actually made it look like an NBA team which it didn't when they had some of their other point guards out there uh the bulls are going to take a billion long twos this year robin lopez justin holiday is going to take shots coming off the screens though against a team playing traditional pick and roll defense like valanchunas does lopez will take a lot of long twos he's extended his range even tried a three in this game that missed but he, lopez is really an underrated mid-range shooter the bulls in the first quarter even though they were within two took one shot at the rim in the first quarter and for the game what will in theory call the competitive portion of it through the first three quarters actually we'll call it the first half because it was really garbage time the whole second half there are 15 of 47 from the field that included only six shots at the rim and 16 long twos in that first half so pretty ugly and then they got up a bunch of threes but they're only three they, which they will do this season but they're only three out of 17 with guys like holiday and denzel valentine jacking them up whenever they get the chance to any other raps observations for you danny such as they can be in a game like this not really i thought their starters looked fine they didn't they weren't really tested in that way i wonder you know i feel like this is in many ways the likely last year for valentinus there just for salary purposes because they're probably gonna yeah i thought he, he was great fine. actually though he was he had yeah, 23 I, and 15 eight yeah, offensive i thought he looked good and but but it's just kind of you think about where this team could be going depending on how they were i thought purtle looked pretty good and i enjoyed norman powell's aggressiveness with their starting five i wonder even though i i like powell better than miles whether just having a guy who takes open shots and who you can kind of run around on screens might be a better fit sometimes with that first unit and then let powell run wild a little bit with the second unit but hey what it's not that big a deal and Casey can actually make that work depending on situations and everything else yeah that's one of those ones where against a team like the Bulls who might have the worst swings in the league hey might as well start Miles right but I think also the thought was that hey we need someone who can be one vet who can space the floor if we're going to do this because they Casey actually and this is one interesting thing and this could just be against the Bulls it could just be early season experimentation they went away from the Kyle Lowry plus bench units at the start of the second and fourth quarters that always just absolutely killed everyone and as it turned out their unit with all the young guys killed everyone anyway but they went to a pure reserve unit to start the second and fourth we'll see how long that lasts against real competition here uh they also did a lot of switching Serge Ibaka involved with that he basically anything two through four they were switching again against a team like the Bulls that has nobody who can attack off the dribble that all works fine we'll see if they employ that same strategy uh they also put out some units with Norman Powell at the four even as well uh, again a against the bulls not a problem pretty much anything is going to work uh so we'll see whether these trends for casey continue i didn't find that the raptors offense really looked that much better in terms of like moving the ball there's still a lot of delays you know when they swing it from side to side the good teams as soon as they swing it from side to side the big is out there to set the screen or to get the handoff at the elbow whereas okay they throw it to the other side after kind of holding it for a while and then oh you got to kind of wait for valentinus to plot up and set the screen you know there's not crispness to their actions yet i mean there's talk that they're going to try and play differently didn't see a ton of that yet from them Let's get to our mailbag now. What we got here? So we picked four questions from it, and and of course you'll hear the rest of it. We already have a great group, and usually let it percolate for a day or two. A question from Dave Alani Jr. Who are your favorite off-ball cutters, both in terms of effectiveness and for their feel of when to cut? Which is a great point that it separates out some of the best people is not only how they do it, but when they do it. I really liked Jabari Parker before he got injured. Along the baseline, if there's a baseline drive, he would blaze in from the wing. Of course, prime Dwayne Wade in Miami 
may have been the best at that just with the gravity that he would induce i'll throw uh, ian clark was good at it on on the the warriors as well uh caspi i mean you kind of have to be on a good team that emphasizes that to be good but yeah who who are your picks the first first guy i thought of in terms of the current era is gary harris again in a perfectly conducive situation really good timing and enthusiastic barton had a couple of nice ones too i think harris is way better i like that you brought up ian clark he was strangely good at that with david west and it is really these bigs that operate in that certain spot the spurs have had it from off the top of my head i think patty mills has had some really nice cuts in the last couple of years oh, yeah, of course manu too i mean the, the spurs the spurs would run i mean they they beat the Cavs on that up those plays a couple of years ago where uh tony parker would be a solid off ball cutter for them I mean, but it really you know i think cutting it's a good skill certainly and there are players who are good at it naturally even on bad teams but i think it's much more about the passer about making guys want to make hard cuts knowing that it'll actually they'll actually get the ball if they do it coaching saying hey you know what like we're going to use this as a constraint play right like oh hey point guard all right you throw it to the elbow and then you just kind of cut through and run to the other side uh you know run like a ucla type action with a back screen oh, are you just going to jog through because the coach said to go here or are you actually going to run it like you expect to get the ball every time and the coaches who can teach that the teens with passers who will actually throw it to you when you are open like that i think is more important toward getting great cutting action than the actual player themselves i think a lot it's pretty easy i think to teach guys to do that uh if it's part of the culture of your team there are a few who have a great mind for it but it's you know the guys that we always think of as smart players but harris would probably be the number one guy oh clay thompson clay thompson is outstanding at it he actually we had a 15 and 60 about this too where he actually if you look there's a synergy uh category for off cuts and most of that is big guys just standing in the dunker spot getting dump offs and going up for dunks and clay thompson had like double the amount of any other guard i think when we looked at it about halfway through last year uh and you know if you're a great shooter you're also going to be a great cutter because guys have to get up on you then you can use back screens and uh so there's like that type of great cutter and then there's also the like hey they're not going to guard me so i'm going to sneak in behind you and we saw a little cutter. bit of it he's obviously not in this group it's way too early but i liked markel fultz's timing both in the preseason and in their opening night game and so if he can use that especially now that he's going to be off ball more than he was at washington it's always a nice benefit for a guy who's guarded by once uh don Bertans. <laughs> ass you guys didn't mention rudy gay's a potential six man of the year candidate on our predictions pod after watching him last night do you think he has a chance to win it over guys like gordon iguodala monroe etc and yes i i do think so uh and moreau probably didn't get enough love on the our six man award either uh although a big never seems to win it gay as more of a score fits that archetype and but yeah if he keeps playing as well as he did and he's playing 24 25 minutes a game and is scoring you know scores into the mid-teens and the spurs do well then yeah i think he actually actually uh could have a chance at it that's someone that i didn't think he overlook. was going to be as healthy to start the year as he was and yeah his his background is a score and right. then the other massive element that he has in his favor is that he might close some games and that not only helps in terms of additional opportunities but in terms of exposure because if there's a guy who closes games eric gordon's going to have some of those opportunities for the, the rockets as well and i think gordon's still the favorite but it is a strong group this year both by the good players who come off the bench and by the volume scorers who come off the bench you know you know, Lou Williams is still going to Lou Williams. I think he had 12 tonight. Yes. Uh, so another question from Rolla. This is actually something we've talked about at various points. No, no hold on. Let, let's, we oh, missed okay, one. Let's do, do short this one short one first. Uh, Kevin Wilson. Yeah, the highest. Sure. Yeah, I'll save the long run for the end. Uh, Kevin Wilson asks, what is the highest single game score that the Warriors will post this season? Their most in regulation game last year was 149 uh, against the Lakers around yeah, Thanksgiving. That, I, I added in that note just for reference. Uh, but it is it is a good line to have for this. And then their number two was 144, I believe. I think that was a crazy game against the Nuggets it might no, it was against the Clippers I think so I don't think they're going to break 150 that's an absolutely insane number for a regulation game yeah so certainly 140s is in the ballpark I'm going to go 147 I mean the Pacers scored a buck 30 last night uh so I mean the one thing that actually plays against them to some degree is that their defense is good enough that it forces the other team into late clock whereas in that Pacers Nets game neither team was stopping the other and they were just taking the ball either shooting right away or taking the ball and like all the switching that they do forces teams to play deep into the clock uh but i'd say a buck 45 would be my 
guests there. I mean, that 149 game was pretty It was, and that, for those who remember, was the follow-up to when they couldn't get a bucket against the Lakers a couple weeks before at the very beginning of the season. It was their first loss, and so I think they did want to hang it on them a little bit. Well, for first loss, I think, after, 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 after getting uh, housed on opening that night. That opening night, night loss where they got blitzed, yeah. Uh, Rala asks, obviously impossible to determine given how long he's stayed off decline so far, but how much longer do you expect LeBron to be A, the best player in the league, B, top five, C, top 10? LeBron is 32 right now. He'll turn 33 in a couple months. I don't think he's the best player in the regular season just because he doesn't apply himself defensively each game, but that's also not how I define the term. So I think he'll be surpassed in the next year to year and a half, whether it's Kawhi or somebody else. I, I just think it's not, it's just a close margin right now. His passing ability is going to be amazing. And then the other big question there is his jump shot. You know, if his jump shot is as solid as it was last year, then maybe he can hold off another year or two. Top five, I think he'll be a top five player for probably like three, four more years. I mean, he's just his that would be that would be insane considering guys don't stay on that long. But even if he loses a step, he's still an unbelievable passer. He's still stronger than almost everybody. And he's a great help defender. His instincts are not going to wane with time. So I'd go somewhere in the three to four year range and then top 10. I think when he drops, he'll drop harder at that point. Yeah, I do think that there will be a pretty severe drop off. I don't think it's going to be like, you know, best player and then two more years at top five and then two more years at top 10. Like, I think it will be a little harder. There'll be an injury. There'll be just simply a retirement. They'll be, you know, just falling off in terms of his athleticism. I mean, I mentioned he definitely can, will always be able to like post up probably against smaller players. How his jump shot works out. He did have a renaissance with that last year, uh, but we'll see. He struggled a, a couple years before that nagging injuries obviously will be a part of it too he certainly looked the part of the best player in the game still on opening night um you know i think if if he does end up being the best player in the league this year this will be the last year but the only reason i have a little pause there is his competition for that i think other than Kawhi leonard who i think is just probably not quite dynamic enough as like a scorer and, and, and passer uh to really be like the absolute best player in the league in the playoffs you know leading a team to a championship unstoppable type of player you know I just don't quite see him as there even though you know he certainly deserves to be right up there in the MVP voting and then the other two players I think are really competing with him are Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and they're both kind of on the downside as well a little bit in their late 20s will be going into their early 30s so I think they'll be declining likely at a somewhat similar rate to LeBron maybe he'll accelerate as he gets into his mid-30s it's hard for me to see him as a top five player past 35 uh I mean it's just Michael Jordan was that but that was in a very very watered down league I don't think although there won't be maybe the absolute top end talent I think there's a lot of great talent in the league and let me ask you this like who outside of the four guys Kawhi, Steph, Curry who's the guy that might replace LeBron as the top player Giannis has a shot but the issue is his jumper you know like I think he has to have a little bit more there I also love him defensively as a four incidentally I like that with LeBron as well at this point in his career and maybe one of the bigs but the problem with that is it's very rare to have a true center that is just the absolute best player in the league in the modern era of course it happened all the time you know earlier on but at this point just with the way teams approach it but we have some of these new agey guys like we we, are, we discussed on the Twitter and base show the difference in terms of pure ceiling between Towns and Embiid I mean I see Embiid his ceiling is you know he's a defensive player of the year who's an impactful effective offensive player and Towns is, could be one of the best offensive centers in the modern era and if he can improve his defense he could be there and th- one of the big concerns though is that in this time of course some of that is supply but this relates to the question is wings and guards have been have really taken prominence and there aren't really those type of guys coming into the league you know the wing crop has been very limited the last couple of years from what i've seen in the coming draft i think that's going to be the same case and then the guards this is a very weak guard draft you know other than maybe luka Doncic, and i have i have questions about that and then you go moving forward so i mean it, it's it's always hard to say who's going to be you know that type of guy but i think i'd probably go 
Giannis one and then Towns two and Bead three, something like that. Oh, AD. Yeah, I mean, it's really, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think AD kind of has this feeling to me like he's plateaued a little bit, maybe. Um, and, and maybe he can just be so good defensively. Like, it just, it remains to be seen to me whether, you know, especially Towns, like, Towns, I think it'd be possible for him to be the best offense player in the league or pretty close. But it's just, you know, for a big, it's hard to get them the ball as much. And then also expect them to be a great defensive player as well is difficult. Giannis would be my pick too, but what you said about the jumper is right because without that jumper, he's always going to be a guy who's not going to be a great option to just beat guys one-on-one on switches late in games in the playoffs. Uh, he did not really succeed that much in that role. I, I didn't get a chance to watch him yet in that Boston game here you know we'll see some of him over the weekend i'm sure so yeah i mean I, to finish answering the question you know i'd say maybe this year is the last year that he'll be the best player in the game and even that might be a debatable proposition and then maybe another year maybe two more years as top five and then maybe one more year as top 10 and then he's kind of out of it i mean but that would be a 36 year old player as a top 10 player in this day and age is pretty remarkable by the way when we talked before about lebron playing at a level beyond any other 32 or 33 year old it was remarked upon that carl malone won mvps at 34 and 36 uh but i think lebron is still at a far higher level right now than carl malone was but i did say you know top three player in the league and uh lebron and maybe even kareem were at that level or i'm sorry and malone and even kareem were at this level that late someone said tim duncan no he was not at that level this late in his career i think we're about done here uh yes we are anything we need to talk about before we go not really looking forward to a, a couple of more days of really fun basketball I kind of laid out at least a battle plan for myself. I don't know if we're going to kind of follow that for the rest of the week, but there are a lot of really good games and you can keep an eye on. I do league pass games of the week for Real GM. The piece comes out on Monday, but then I link to it before each day's games. You can check that out. That is a general guide to what I'm going to be keeping an eye on, though. Of course, I watch the national games too. Yeah, our goal for Sunday night show is we're going to do all 30 teams. And since it's early in the season, we're going to just say something positive about each team. <laughs> that is our goal. We're going to be really positive. Uh, and, and you can look forward to to the debut of our Dunktown intern, Liam Doyle. It's going to come on the show a little bit, uh, give him a little rope to do a couple of these teams. That'll do it for today. We'll talk to you all on Sunday night. Till then. Do you want to save big? Over 300 million smart and thrifty shoppers have discovered Wish, the mobile mail app that makes it. Want to save big? Over 300 million smart and thrifty shoppers have discovered Wish, the mobile mall app that makes it easy to shop for fashion, shoes, electronics, and more directly from the makers. That way you pay 69% less than what you'd pay in a store. And now for our listeners, Wish is offering all new users a free gift with purchase. But even if you're not a new user, for dedicated Wish lovers who already use it, don't worry about being left out. All listeners can download and open the Wish app, find things that you didn't even know that you needed, and enter my code CAPSPACE for 20% off your purchase. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 